Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. A few months ago, we told you the story of Maria Isabel Bueso, who gets life-saving treatment in the Bay Area for a rare medical condition. She and her family moved to the Bay from Guatemala through this special immigration status. She was also one of hundreds of immigrants in this program facing deportation. But now, after months of pushing back, she can stay. Maria Isabel said that she just felt this great wave of relief. Today, we're going to tell you what's happened since we last told you about Maria Isabel and her family, who've been living in limbo while also advocating to reverse one of President Trump's immigration policies. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. The first time I read about Maria Isabel Bueso, I was on BART, and I was reading um, a story I saw in the Chronicle, and it was about her. Frida Javala Romero covers immigration for KQED. We talked with her in September about Maria Isabel, whose life story Frida came to know after reading about her in the San Francisco Chronicle. Maria Isabel was graduating from college at the time, and the story that Frida was reading about was about how she graduated while struggling with a rare genetic disease called mucopolysaccharidosis type 6. It affects about one in every 25,000 babies. And it was that she had graduated top of her class from Cal State East Bay. You know, it's a story that stays with you because you're like, wow, this person, you know, is going through so many challenges in life and they they graduate from college and top of their class, you know. Yeah. Um, that was an, a couple of years ago. And so when I read her name, I was like, I wonder if it's the same the same woman. And it was. Yeah. Then in September, Maria Isabel's name popped up in the news again. This time, it was because she was facing deportation, despite being here for treatment for her disease. She's 24 now, and when you meet her, I mean, this is someone who, because of this rare genetic uh, condition she was born with, uh, she's on a wheelchair. Yeah, so through the years, i becoming an advocate, you know, for MPS and for the rare disease community. Her stature is really short because the disease um, 
doesn't allow the spinal cord and the skeletal system to develop properly. She breathes with this device doctors put in uh, after a tracheotomy. And she's had to go through dozens of operations uh, to survive. I I lost track after a while. At the same time, I mean, this is someone who went to college. She graduated summa cum laude from Cal State East Bay recently. Uh, She became a dance instructor. Uh, She dances using, you know, the the top part of her body on her wheelchair. I advocate for others because I love doing that and I'm passionate. But now I feel like I'm advocating for my own life. Maria Isabel and her family faced the possibility of having to leave their home in Concord. That's where they've been living while Maria Isabel got treatment for a condition. The family's been living in the Bay Area for 16 or so years after moving from Guatemala, where the medicine used to treat Maria Isabel doesn't exist. Her mom, Carla, found out there were doctors in the Bay Area that were doing a clinical trial to find a treatment for Marisabel's condition. And this is a very rare genetic condition. So Carla got in touch with doctors at UCSF. In 2003, we got a call from the doctor saying that um, Isabel was going to be part of the second clinical trial. And that's basically why, why we came. And, and, you know, that took years. And you have to think about, you know, she was seven, and she, she talks about how it was really hard for her to be connected to an IV. You know, things like that, yeah. like having to go to the hospital a lot. Um, and at the time, they weren't guaranteeing that this nope. treatment was going to help her. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it was kind of like the only option the family felt uh, that they had because doctors in Guatemala had told them that Maria Isabel was not going to live past age 10. We relocated, we made a life here. Isabel attended schools here. Uh, she went to college. She graduated summa cum laude. I'm sorry, I'm a proud mama. And she's been here since she was seven years old. How has the family been able to stay in the U.S. for the last 16 years? It's humanitarian protections called deferred action. A lot of the people who apply for these is for medical reasons, and it's sort of excruciatingly, you know, difficult circumstances where people need medical treatment in the U.S. Uh-huh. Most of the requests are not granted by really? um, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. With those protections come employment authorization for her family. So her dad works in an import-export business, um, and her mom is a full-time caregiver for Maria Isabel. A few months ago, Maria Isabel and her family reapplied for deferred action. They rely on its renewal every two years. But this year, things didn't go as planned. So they said it was a shock when they got a letter from U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and it's dated August 13th. This year, uh, immigration denied that extension due to new policies. And um, we didn't uh, have any notice in advance that this was going to happen. Um, to be true, to be honest, I am I'm shocked. The letter said Maria Isabel and her family were no longer authorized to stay in the United States under deferred action for medical relief. The U.S. immigration agency said they had to leave the country in 33 days or face removal proceedings. 
The reason the agency gives is that they will no longer consider deferred action requests except those made for military families. Part of the shock was, you know, like we we own a house here, like we've lived here for 16 years. What do you mean we have to leave in 33 days, you know? And and then like Maria Isabel needs that treatment to to survive and the medicine is not available in Guatemala so they feel like leaving the US and not being able to have this medical treatment for Maria Isabel would be a death sentence for her. The Trump administration made no announcement of a policy change when it began sending out these letters. That's when reporters and advocates started to pick up on what was happening. The way we start finding out about it is like, hey, this person who has a very legitimate reason in many people's eyes, you know, to to remain in the U.S. because if she leaves, she's going to (laughs) die. Yeah. People like her are getting these letters. There was a lot of confusion in the days that followed. Hundreds of people received these letters, and they didn't know if they'd have the chance to stay in the U.S. on this medical deferred action program. Why is this deferred action being threatened now when it's been around for so many years? Yeah, I mean, this obviously comes at a time when the Trump administration is issuing a lot of new policies or reworking policies to restrict new immigration, you know, people coming into the country or making it more difficult for people who weren't born in the U.S., There was a lot of public outcry over this policy change. Nurses at UCSF staged a protest on Maria Isabel's behalf. More than 100 members of Congress sent letters to USCIS and the Department of Homeland Security asking them to reverse their decision on medical deferred action. There is no justification for the incompetence of this decision, and there is no excuse for the recklessness displayed by our government in this whole affair. There was a hearing September 11 in Washington, D.C., and the whole point of the hearing was to find out why USCIS did this and what was going to happen to people moving forward. The administration decided to cast out some of the most vulnerable and defenseless people on earth And there are families across America whose children would essentially be sentenced to death eventually by this stunningly harsh and cruel policy. The people that were called to testify were Maria Isabel Bueso. If I stopped getting the treatment, which I've been doing for 16 years, but if I stop getting the treatment um, that my body needs because it's missing, um, then I'm going to die. She said during the congressional hearing that it's not only about her, right? Like there's hundreds of other people who we know are in the same situation as her now with these denial letters and the risk of losing these protections, Um, but also people in the future. Because if the U.S. gets rid of this humanitarian relief, as we know it, then other people in the future won't be able to apply or get those, you know, in the way that she has. And So I I feel like when you talk to her, you get a sense that a lot of what she does is not just for her. It's for other people as well. Yeah, I have a disease, but I've been opening doors for others, continue doing the clinical trials to help other people. But I think the hardest of my disease has been, you know, in the hospital all the time, doctor's appointment all the time, which is not normal for other my friends, but... It's my life. There was a lot of frustration with the government representatives 
because um, the USCIS, you know, guy, Daniel Renaud, he didn't answer many, many questions, um, you know, about how officials there decided to end these protections. Why did all of this happen? Can either of you answer that, Mr. Renaud? Um, un- unfortunately, um, I- I'm, we are not going to be able to answer that because of the ongoing litigation. Um, we're not able to respond. There were a lot of questions that were left unanswered. But Marisabel got that stage to tell her story. And she even got applause from uh, members of Congress and other people at the hearing. So I'm, I'm really, really blessed. It was really interesting to watch, you know, like like you said, this is like one of the policy changes that, you know, come in the midst of all these other changes that Trump administration is making on immigration. And for a lot of people who disagree with the change, it was a new low for the administration. Why, why did they feel like this was a new low? Because they see it as targeting sick children and immigrants in the country, like the most vulnerable people you could go after. I'd like to apologize to you on behalf of the United States of America for the dehumanizing policies that they are pursuing that are frankly targeting you and targeting many people in the United States. And we're fighting for a better country that we can be proud of when it comes to how we treat all people and understanding the circumstances that they are coming from. And I'd also like to recognize the intrinsic value that you have and offer to everybody that you encounter. A week after Maria Isabel told her story at the congressional hearing, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Agency sent a letter to Congress saying that it would resume consideration for non-military deferred action requests on a case-by-case basis. In some ways, Maria's case seems really unique in that she's here because she has this rare genetic disease. But also, like we were talking about earlier, it doesn't seem so far off from the reality that so many other immigrants are trying to come here and, and they're facing trying to escape the, the countries where they're coming from, where they're, they're escaping life or death situations. Right. But like in these cases, people are already are already in the U.S., you know, and they've gotten these protections in the past. They've they've had some type of lawful status. Right. Like the government said they could stay here and get this medical treatment. And so to take that away, you know, and without much answers about why and without public notice or, you know, about it. It just, um, you know, that's a question I have. You know, why would the administration do that? For me to stay, you know, continue with all with my old medical care, you know, that I started from years ago, you know. So that way I can, you know, continue not just getting my treatment, but, you know, being monitored by my doctors and also do more clinical trials to help more people with the MPS community. Think about it, like this clinical trial that she went through for years actually led to a medicine that is approved now and in the market in the U.S. And she talked about how she was able to see babies that were diagnosed with the same disease that she has get the medicine. And she knew that because it's sort of a degenerative thing, that they wouldn't have to deal with some of the same issues that she has, like health-wise. So 
her presence in the country has already helped other people. And when she talks about the threat that she could lose her medical treatment and and die, she says, but I still have so many dreams and so many things I want to do. So it's she doesn't think of her disease as something horrible. It, it's She thinks of, about it as something that has allowed her to also help other people. Okay, Farida, so it's now December and we're talking about this again because Maria Isabel got some good news recently. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so she found out on December 6th that U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services had approved um, her and her family's request for this humanitarian temporary relief that's called Deferred Action. You followed up with her after she found this out. How did she feel when she got that call from her attorney? Yeah, so she said she was actually um, at home and that she was talking on the phone with her grandma in Guatemala and that her mom was in the kitchen or somewhere else in the house talking to their um, attorney on the phone. And she started hearing all this commotion. So after she hung up with her grandma, she went to see what was going on. And her mom told her that they had finally been approved and the family had been waiting for this news since May. I was really happy and shocked still. Cannot believe it that we finally have those letters that we've been waiting for so long. So several months, um, and Maria Isabel said that she just felt this great wave of relief and happiness that um, they won't have to worry about having to leave the country for another two years. So actually talk a little bit more about that. Now that U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has approved Maria Isabel's deferred action, what exactly does that mean for her and her family? So that means that, first of all, they can stay in the country for another two years. And it also means that she and her family can apply for um, employment authorization. So her dad uh, and her older sister, who's a preschool teacher, can continue working in the U.S. But there's other impacts, like, you know, her mom was worried about not being able to renew her driver's license, for example, without this, you know, official document from the U.S. government and uh, not being able to drive Maria Isabel to the medical appointments that she has, especially her treatment every week to get the drug that she needs to survive and continue living. Do we know why Maria Isabel's application was finally approved? So I looked at the letter they, the, the family sent it to me. They didn't really go into any details as to why uh, her application was uh, granted. They just said that it has and sort of, you know, what that permit allowed her and her family to do in the States. The way most of us ended up learning about Maria Isabel was through her advocacy and, and being front and center in the media during this time when she didn't know what was happening to her. But what's, what's been happening to Maria Isabel over the last couple of months? When I asked Maria Isabel that question, she said that 
you know, obviously the the situation was really stressful for her family and her, and they had a lot of fear and uncertainty. But because she testified during that congressional hearing about this issue back in September, a lot of people would stop her on the street. Like she said, they'd go to the grocery store, for example, and people would be like, oh, you're that woman, you know, and then ask her how she was doing and if she'd gotten her permit or her, um, you know, official documents from the government to stay. Um, and so she couldn't really put it away, you know, from her, from her mind. Like she was constantly reminded of how precarious her um, her situation was in the in the U.S. and that she might have to leave at any time. So if if her application was denied, so basically she said, yeah, it, w- it was it was it felt like a privilege to be able to use her voice to um, advocate for her and other people in the same situation, like hundreds of other immigrants um, at least who are you know very ill and need medical treatment in the U.S. Um, but but at, at the same time, it, it took a toll on her and her family. But she was also recognized for her work and for her courage to you know come out and and speak up on this. She got an award, and the organizations I think I sent them to you, and they're linked in my story. But she got an award for speaking up, you know, on this issue and for her previous advocacy work. So she says for her, it was kind of, uh, it took her to another league in terms of uh, the advocacy that she's done for people who, um, you know, have rare genetic diseases. When this story first came out, we learned that there were hundreds of people back in August who got these letters saying that they could face deportation. Now Maria Isabel can stay for at least two more years. Her family can work. What do you think her application's approval could mean for other people who rely on this kind of humanitarian medical deferred action from the U.S.? So there's two things. The denial letters that um, Maria Isabel and other immigrants got sometimes said uh, that they had to leave the country in 33 days or face deportation. Um, But there was still a process that was going to happen in order for them to go into deportation proceedings. But there was still that threat, right, that they had to, they were telling them to to leave the country. And then in terms of Maria Isabel Bueso, getting this uh, reprieve, um, she said she hopes that it gives other people who haven't heard yet on their applications some 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 light at the end of the tunnel that maybe they'll be able to also stay. But we don't know exactly how many of these applications the agency has has approved and you know how many people will have the same result as Maria Isabel. What we do know is that because of the congressional hearing and public outcry and, you know, people like Maria Isabel speaking up about their situation, it sounds like USCIS decided to reverse the change that they had done, which was to say they were not going to consider these applications anymore. And the agency said that, you know, moving forward, they're going to look at both uh, the pending applications, but also new ones. So it seems like this program is continuing. What did Maria Isabel say that she learned from this whole experience? 
So she said that looking back at her ordeal and the months and months that her family and her waited for this answer from the government, that it was full of uncertainty and stress and fear, but that she also learned that using her voice and not being afraid uh, to use her voice um, matters. And in this case, made a positive, positive impact for her and other people in her situation. Farida says there's still a couple questions she has, like how many people who applied for the same temporary relief back in August when the agency announced that it would end the program will get to stay. Bay Area lawmakers have gotten involved since then. One bill from East Bay Congress member Mark Desanier would give Marie Isabel and her family permanent residency in the U.S. He says he's working on another bill to protect more immigrants who need medical treatment in the country. Farida Javala Romero covers immigration for KQED. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Angela Corral, and editor Alan Montecilio. KQED's leadership team is Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.